Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Hello! Hello, anyone here? You must be Wally. Hi, Wally. I'm Steve. Yeah, I'm looking for something to help me, I don't know, just tell some of my friends about Jesus and invite them into his family. Yeah, you do have a lot of stuff here. I see that. Okay. Yeah, I'll just look around and thanks. Four spiritual laws. No, that's kind of handy. It's small. I could carry one in my pocket and, man, I could get a whole stack of them and leave them at every restaurant I go to and leave them on my friends' cars. And I don't know, that word law, though, kind of turns me off. I, I'm not sure I want to use that. A DVD of the Jesus movie. Perfect. I could get a stack of these and give them as gifts to my family and my friends and Surely if they watched the movie, they would want to follow him. I don't know, but what if they don't watch it? Man, this looks like fire and brimstone and people screaming and crying. What are you supposed to do with that? Scare the hell out of people? Schofield Study Bible. Now that's a big Bible. Hmm, surely if I would buy one of these and give it to my friend, they would read it and hopefully they would follow Jesus. But, oh, I don't want to buy that. That's too expensive. What's this? A megaphone. I could stand on the street corners and say, Jesus is the only way. Come follow Jesus. I can tell you all about him. I don't know, that's not really my style either. Hey, Wally, can you help me a little bit here? Of all these gadgets that you've got, which has been the most effective? Like over the years, what has the best track record? What? That table over there? This? But it's just a table. Yeah, you're right. Jesus used it. Guess if it's good enough for him, it could be good enough for me, but... You know, Wally, I've got my own table. I don't really need to buy your table. I've got one in my room, my dining room, and there's tables at the restaurants where I go. Hey, thanks for the idea, Wally. And he's right. Jesus had meals with people. He didn't plan programs and run events and have workshops and seminars and conferences and projects. He just shared meals. Not that meals in themselves save people, but a meal becomes an opportunity to have a conversation, to be real, to open up about ourselves and learn about the person across the table. And over time, those conversations can lead into something deeper. 
And so we have this series, Building a Bigger Table. And for weeks now, we've been looking in the book of Luke, those different times when Jesus had a meal with someone. He sat down, he shared a meal, he had food, he was in someone's home or on the, on the mountainside uh, eating with someone. And it's no different. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and he has a meal with some Pharisees again. We talked about another one of those last week. And if you'd like to join me, uh, we'll be in chapter 14 of Luke. And I'm calling it Jesus Dinner Etiquette because he does most of the talking and he actually seems to kind of give a corrective. He's going to give a word to the host, to the guests. Uh, He's going to say something about the seating arrangement This is Jesus' dinner etiquette. And when we talk about Jesus' table, I don't want you to think about heaven. I don't think Jesus was as concerned about getting us into heaven as getting heaven into us. Like learning how to live in his kingdom with him every day, here in this life, before the next He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's it's accessible. It's right here. There's that invitation in in Revelation 3. I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I'll come in and dine with you. We'll enjoy a meal together. Give us today our daily bread, Jesus taught us to pray. Or David from the Psalms. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, that wouldn't be in heaven, would it? It's a picture of of life with Jesus now. All that's available to us. A feast. If we just take advantage of it. You might think of, of of it this way. Jesus setting up a huge banquet table out in the lobby. Just filled with all kinds of food. And saying, I'm ready. You can eat at my table anytime. Or maybe a better illustration would be a a catering truck that follows you all throughout your day and your week. And at any moment, on Tuesday morning when things are hectic at the office and you're just filled with worry and anxiety, Jesus says, stop, stop. can we push the pause button? Let's have a meal together. Feast on what I have for you. You don't have to live in worry and anxiety and frustration. I can give you peace right now. Thursday afternoon when the kids are getting hungry and you're just climbing the wall and frustrated with with all of them, Jesus says, what? Catering truck's here. Let's have a feast together. That's the image that I think Jesus would want us to understand as, as we look at this text together. Jesus' table. So, he's going to teach a a couple of things in his etiquette about what not to do, and then a couple of things about what to do. The first not is it's not about being a rule follower. Here's our text. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Your text might use the word dropsy or edema. It's the swelling, large swelling of the legs and arms. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. 
So taking a hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Here's another one of those Sabbath stories. We've come across many of those in Luke already. There was the time when Jesus healed the the man with the withered hand. Another Sabbath when he healed a woman who had been crippled for 18 years. There was another Sabbath when the disciples were picking the grain and eating them. And the Pharisees were so good, as you know, we've said many times about defining rules on how to keep the Sabbath and what you can and can't do. Even in last week's story, Pastor Dan shared with us how the Pharisees were like hypocrites, Jesus called them. You're good at cleaning the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of hypocrisy. You don't even follow your own rules. Our text says that he went to eat at the home of a prominent Pharisee. Perhaps this was the leader of the Pharisees in that region. And then there were experts of the law there, and this man who was sick right in front of Jesus. Now, we don't have pictures from back then, but this, as best we know, this is how the Pharisees would dress. They were very proper. There was a, something that they had to wear and around their neck and on their head. And these were religious men who were proper. And can you imagine setting up this meal... If you're the lead Pharisee, of course, your home is very proper. Everything is set in its place because you obviously think that's how you please God, is doing everything according to the rules. So all guys dress like this, and maybe there's the host and then the ones next to him and other seats. But it becomes apparent when they invite Jesus that there's a certain seat for Jesus. And the text says, right in front of him is this man who is sick. It's a setup. I don't think they would have invited this guy for any other reason. And they probably wouldn't have touched him. I don't know how he got there, if someone else helped him or if he kind of stumbled his way into this house. But somehow the Pharisees had told him, you come to our house for this meal And then they sat Jesus right across from him. And it's quiet. And if our our English text doesn't say this, but if you were able to look at the original in verse 3, it literally says, Jesus answered saying. Now, they didn't ask a question. In fact, they were afraid to ask the question. In fact, Jesus asks the very question that they were trying to ask of him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? That's kind of like the elephant in the room, right? And they're all watching to see, will he heal him or not? What will he do with this man who is sick? Jesus answered them saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And again, they're silent. So the text says he reaches across, touches this sick person on a Sabbath, which would they probably thought, oh, that would contaminate him right, right away, just touching him, and he heals him. And then extends him out the door. He sent him away. I think Jesus was saying, you don't need to hang out with these legalists. Go be free. Go enjoy your life. And besides, I've got some things to say to these guys that don't don't pertain to you anyway. And then he said to them, 
If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. You know why? They were caught. He, he had them right where he wanted them. You put these rules together about what's right and what's wrong on the Sabbath, but you won't even follow your own rules. You say it's work to pull someone out of a well, but if your son fell in the well, wouldn't you pull him out, even if it was the Sabbath? They were quiet. Jesus is reminding us that rule following is not the way in his kingdom. It's not about finding the right rules. How much should I read the Bible or pray or what should I wear or how much should I give to the church or how should I spend my time? The problem with rules is as soon as we get our list together of who we think is the ideal Christian, then we can start holding it up and figuring who's in and who's out according to my rules. And we tend to become legalistic, which makes us hypocritical because we're always the exception of our own rule. Like, well, that's for them, but I don't need to follow that today or this week. And God wants to be, us to be free from that. Not, it's not that the Bible doesn't have rules, but the rules are not to get to God or to impress God. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow my way, here's how you should live. And we follow the rules not because we have to, but because we want to. We've discovered that his way is the best way. I do trust him. And so I want to follow what he says. And besides, living with rules, being a rule person, I don't know, it makes me too much like a Pharisee. And honestly, when I look back on quite a few years of my life, I feel like, that was me. I would, have been a, I would have made a good Pharisee. Maybe some of you as, as well would say the same thing. We kind of had our, our rules and our idea of this is what a Christian should look like and obviously this is what they don't look like. Well, next Jesus gives a word about not promoting ourselves. And this is a word to the guests. Look at what he notices they are picking the places of honor at the table. He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For the person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I don't think in our culture we can quite grasp the significance of this. Because we have dinners and, and meals and you know, we just kind of let people sit where we want to sit. Maybe the only uh, illustration that would be uh, applicable in our culture is at a wedding. There's certain places where you have this head table, and this is the chart, if you want to know. This is where you're supposed to seat people at your head table. But in their culture, uh, it, they had it all figured out. It had to do with honor. I remember talking with someone 
who had been a part of a, of a meeting in a conference room in an Asian culture, and he said they spent the better part of an hour, the first hour, adjusting the heights of the chairs and moving chairs around so that everyone's head would be exactly the same height and no one would be honored too much or dishonored too much. It's an honor culture. That's like what Jesus is dealing with here. And he's not saying that we can never show someone honor or give someone the honored seat. What he's talking about is this attitude of presumptuousness. I deserve that seat. I should be honored. And he's saying, don't go there. Look at, look at the emphasis here. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So remember the picture of the Pharisees and their proper garb? Picture them coming into this dinner, and they walk into the house, and they all know that this certain seat is the seat of the host, the prominent leader of the Pharisees. He would sit here, and then the person to his right and his left would be the next most important, and then if they had other tables or couches or however they sat, they all knew which were the honored places. And generally, the farther away from the host you sat, the less important you were. So can you kind of see these distinguished people walking in and kind of making their way close to the, to the host's table and, you know, maybe, maybe just putting a hand on the chair, like just, I'm having conversation, but I've got my hand on the chair, just signaling I'm going to sit here. I'm, I'm sure this one belongs to me, not you, right? Or kind of elbowing someone and pushing them aside and moving in and like, I'm sure that this is my chair. Or maybe even sitting down and presumptuously taking seats. And the text says, Jesus noticed this. This is what was going on between them as they were finding their seats, What he says to them about not honoring yourself or exalting yourself, they would have known from their Old Testament studies. Proverbs 27, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Paul continues to teach that in the New Testament in Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of grace God has given you. Now, that doesn't mean that we should speak badly about ourselves like, oh, I'm a nothing, I can't do anything. Um, both extremes are wrong. I'm great, I can do everything great, or I'm nothing, and you shouldn't even talk to me because in both cases, where is our focus? It's on us, right? Jesus is saying, don't think first of yourself. This would be what Paul was teaching in Philippians 2. Don't act out of selfish ambition or conceit. Instead, humbly think of others as better than yourselves. How do we do that? So you spend time with someone and you begin to focus on them. You ask them questions. You don't talk about yourself unless they ask. Where should we go out to eat? Where would you like to eat? What would you like to do this afternoon or this evening? 
See, for Jesus, it comes naturally just to think of others, but for us, it's the reverse, isn't it? What's natural is that we think of ourselves first, and we want to tell people about our accomplishments. Why? Probably to try to impress them or manage their impression of us. We want to tell someone, if we've done an act of kindness or service uh, that they don't know about, everything in us screams to tell them, this is what I did for you. I want you to know. (laughs) What picture do you have on Facebook? Is it how you look right now or how you looked 5 or 10 or 20 years ago, right? Do we, want to put, we want to put our best face forward. What about when we're driving and we cut in front of someone? There's a little space right there. And, and even our actions in our driving can be presumptuous, like, that's my space. I deserve to be ahead of you. Getting to work to, or to my appointment is more important than wherever, whatever you're doing. And this ugly attitude shows up all over the place. And if we want to practice a discipline this week on this one, when you're in conversation with people, try not talking about yourself unless they ask. Just continue to focus on them. Give them your undivided attention. Ask them questions. Learn about them. And and let's be less concerned about managing others' impression of us. So there have been a couple of things, uh, negative things. At Jesus' table, it's not about being a rule follower. It's not about self-promotion. But it is about living generously. This word he gives, it says, to the host. So this is to the prominent Pharisee. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although you cannot, they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, I mean, I want to put your heart at ease. I'm I'm quite sure, I'm I'm 100% sure that Jesus is not saying we can't ever invite our family for a meal. You can't eat with your grandparents or your grandkids or your friends. He's not saying that. The Bible even says anyone who does not provide for relatives and especially for his own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But what Jesus is talking about is that natural tendency to play it safe, to stay with people that are like us. When's the last time someone sat at your dining table who's not a relative, but they have a different skin color than you do or ethnic background than you do? or a different socioeconomic status than yours, or different theological beliefs, or different political beliefs. Jesus wants us to get out of that comfort zone and open up our hearts and our tables and our lives to those around us who may be different than us. And I see something here in this part of the text where Jesus once again notices a heart issue. They'll invite you back. You will be repaid. They cannot repay. You will be repaid. Jesus is sensing that part of the reason they're only inviting others is that it's a reciprocal relationship. You do, I do this for you. You do this for me. And he's inviting them, or at least teaching them at his table, in his kingdom, 
We live way more generously than that. Now, uh, you know, it's, I think it's almost ironic that one of the people that he said they should have been inviting was at their table a few minutes earlier, and then he's gone. He wasn't really invited to stay for a meal. He was the object lesson to try to trap Jesus, right? And when I'm talking about generosity, especially to those uh, in need, I'm not thinking primarily of going down to a homeless shelter and serving them a meal, which is a nice thing to do, and maybe many of us, I've done that, maybe many of us have done that. Um, Do you know what we're saying when we do that? You are needy, I am not. You need me to serve you, but I don't need you to serve me. It's way different when you sit down and share a meal across the table than being the one up here serving the one down there. Why does Jesus want us to live generously? Well, several reasons come to my mind. One would be that it reminds us that all the resources we've been given, we're simply managers. We're stewards of those things. They're not ours. For a few years, we get to manage those. They're really God's. Another reason might be that he wants the recipients of our generosity to get a picture of God. 1 John 3 says in one of the paraphrases, consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. So we're generous with people and they say, where did that come from? Why was she so generous? Why was he? I wonder if God is like that. Being generous might help us to become less dependent on our stuff and our self and our sufficiency. Being generous reminds us how much God cares for the outsiders, the ones that generally aren't able to care for themselves. And often he wants to use those of us who have resources to provide for those who don't. I wonder if another reason he wants us to be generous with poor people is because he might say, these are my people. The Bible says Jesus became poor. He left all of the glory and the privileges in heaven to come down to be among us. These are my people. The Bible says if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. You know, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. How many of us are ever accused of that, by the way? Thankfully, you don't need any of those um, gadgets to be a generous person and share Jesus with your friends. A table will do just fine. Your dining table, the table at the coffee shop, the table at the restaurant. Can you imagine inviting someone this week to a meal that you, you know they'll never invite you back. They don't have the means or they would never even think of that. And if you invite them into your home and they offer to clean up the kitchen, let them. Or are you too proud to be served by your guest? When is the last time you threw a party for someone you don't know very well, a, a waiter or a waitress, 
maybe a paper boy, uh, someone who cl- comes to cl- clean your house, uh, someone who does your dry cleaning, someone who do- fixes your latte on the way to work or mows your lawn, whoever. These people that we rub shoulders with, the checker at the grocery store, what would it look like to just be extravagant with them? Well, The next word in this story that Jesus has is a word about welcoming outsiders, and it's a word to one of the guests. In verse 14, Jesus had just said, hey, if you invite outsiders, you will be blessed. And this courageous Pharisee speaks up. It's the only, in the way Luke records this story, it's the only time any of the Pharisees said anything in this whole section. And I can see him kind of raising his hand and puffing his chest out a little bit and saying, you know, well, blessed are those who eat in the feast of the kingdom. And what, this is code. Let me unpack it for you. What he's really saying is, we all know that when the end of time comes, there will be what some call a messianic banquet. A banquet put on the Messiah who's coming to save all of us Jews And we all know that all of us Jews will be the ones to be at the table sitting with the Messiah. We're we're blessed too, Jesus. You just said we're blessed if we invite the outsiders, but aren't we also the blessed ones? Now, this idea of a messianic banquet, uh, you could trace clear back to the, the... in the beginning in in Genesis and in the beginning of the Bible, God leading them into the promised land. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. There's this picture of food. Um, There's a a text in um, Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of the meats, the finest uh, of, of wines. There's... The Passover meal celebrated every year. There's meals in the New Testament. There's Jesus at the Last Supper. It's just so ingrained that you think of God, you think of a meal, that he would invite us to his table. And so it doesn't surprise us that this brave Pharisee would say, aren't we all blessed too? And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come now for everything is ready. Let me put a pause on there and tell you how their culture worked. It's a little bit like save the date cards today. You would decide you're going to have a banquet and you would send out to your invite list uh, the announcement. We're going to have a banquet, but it didn't include the date. It It was just putting you on notice that you are the, you're on the invite list, and when the banquet's ready, we'll come back and tell you. But they alike begin to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married. I can't come. And the master told his servant, He came, when, the, when the servant came back and reported this, the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and, and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, he said, 
what you've ordered's been done. We, we already thought of that, and we did that already, and there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Ouch. I think every Pharisee in the room understood that Jesus was talking about them. They are the invited ones. They were proud of it. They knew they were the invited ones. They were anticipating that day when they would be the invited ones around God's final table. And Jesus is saying, it won't be you guys. Not everyone who is invited will be there. The crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor, they're the ones that we'll invite and they'll come. And do you know why, do you know why we invite them and why Jesus wants us to invite them? Because we are they. That's the only way to get into the kingdom of God, to humble ourselves, to recognize that I can't do life on my, on my own. I'm poor. I'm needy. I need Jesus. I need him to save me and forgive me and free me and help me. And until we can become like those, we won't enter the kingdom of heaven. We won't experience the life that he came to give us. These are the kind of people that we shouldn't be inviting to our meals. And these are the kind of people that share in God's meal every day. It says, go compel them to come. Do you know why? I think because they can't believe they're invited. Like, no, he doesn't want me, does he? I've got this, this limp. I, I'm so imperfect. I'm so poor. I, I, he doesn't want me at his table, does he? Yes, it says compel them. He does. The meal is set, and you're the invited guest, and he does want you to come. If we're not feasting at his table, it's not his fault. Just because you're invited doesn't mean you'll experience the banquet. Are you feasting at Jesus' table daily? Have you found your way into the Jesus family and decided to follow him and be on, on mission with him and in our world? We're all invited. But it doesn't mean we'll experience the banquet. We have to accept the invitation, put aside those lame excuses and say, okay, I'm coming. I would like to be a part of this. Last week, Pastor Dan shared a little story from Tony Campolo's life. He was a sociologist, preacher. He writes a story in the book, uh, The Kingdom of God is Like a Party, about a time when he was in Hawaii, and he was there for a number of days, and it was like the middle of the night, and he was awake and kind of hungry, and so he left his room and went down some side alley and he found a little diner that was open, 3.30 in the morning. And he went in. No one's in there. He sits at the 
at the, up at the bar, and pretty soon this big fat guy came, and how can I help you? And he's wiping his hands on his dirty apron, and Tony orders a coffee and a donut, and the guy just grabs the donut with his hands and hands it to him, and Tony says he's, he's drinking his coffee and eating his donut when all of a sudden some women start coming in, eight or nine prostitutes, 3.30 in the morning. And it's a small place, so some of them are sitting on his right and some of them are sitting on his left. And he said that what they were talking about and the language they were using made me very uncomfortable. But then I heard one of them on my right say something about, hey, and tomorrow's my birthday, I'll be 39. And someone over here said, eh, what's it to you, like, What's the big deal? What do you expect us to do? Throw you a party or something? And it gave Tony an idea. He waited until the women left, and then he called the guy back from behind the counter and found out his name was Harry. Hey, Harry, who was this woman over here to my right? Oh, that's Agnes. She's in here every night. He said, did you know that Agnes said tomorrow's her 39th birthday and she's never had a birthday party? What do you say we throw her a birthday party? He kind of smiled. He calls back to his wife behind the counter. She's in the back cooking. Hey, honey, there's this guy out here that wants to throw a party for Agnes tomorrow. What do you say? And she comes out all smiles. And Tony says, all right, I'll get the decorations. I'll pick up the cake. And Harry says, no, 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 I got the cake. I'll bake her a cake. And so the next night, 2.30 in the morning, Tony Campolo walks back into this diner He's got crepe paper, and he's decorating, and he's got this cardboard sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And right on cue at 3.30, she walks in the door. And when she walks in, he's got everybody else ready to say, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And she's just shocked. She's stunned. She stands there. And, and then they begin to sing the song, Happy Birthday to You. And they get to the end. And, Happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. And Harry comes out with a cake with candles. And she's crying. And he hands it to her and says, Here you go, Agnes. Blow out the candles. And she can't. She, she's just stunned. Come on, Agnes, blow out the candles or I'll blow them out for you. And finally, he just blows them out and hands her the, sets the cake down on the counter, hands her a knife and says, Agnes, got the cake so we can eat it. And she just looks at it. She says, do we have to cut it right now? Can we, can we just enjoy it a little longer and not cut it up? Oh, I don't care, Agnes. You can keep the cake. If you can take it home if you want. She said, can I? No one's ever given me a birthday cake. Tony says, she looked at me, she looked at Harry, and she said, I just live a couple, a couple houses down. I'll be right back. And the way Tony says it, it looked as if she was carrying the Holy Grail as she walked out with her birthday cake. And as soon as the door closed, there was this awkward silence, as you can imagine. And Tony said, I don't know what got into me, but I said, how about if we pray? <laughs> and he said, I prayed for Agnes, and I prayed for her salvation, and I prayed that God would bless her. And Harry came up to him later and said, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Tony said, I, I belong to a church that believes in giving parties to whores at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, no way. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd be a part of it. Would you?
Would you be a part of a church like that? Do you think Jesus wants South to be a part of a, be a church like that? What would it look like if we opened our eyes to people that are hurting and people that are around us and began to invite them into our lives and told them about Jesus? What would it look like if we humbled ourselves enough to say, I'm needy, I'm poor, I need a Savior. I want to feast at your table every day, Jesus. Would you stand with me? As we stand, I'm going to invite you to just think quietly for a minute, maybe if you want to close your eyes and and just ask you a couple of questions. The first one is this. Who have you been having meals with lately? And is Jesus bringing a face or a name of somebody in your circle of influence that you should connect with this week? Someone at work, someone that serves you in a, in a restaurant or in, in the grocery store, someone. There's someone, is there someone that's not very much like you, someone different than you, that Jesus is saying, what about her? What about him? Can you see yourself inviting them into your home or meeting them at a coffee shop or a restaurant this week? And the second question I want to ask you is, have you been feasting at Jesus' table? Are you living in his kingdom, taking advantage of all the good stuff that he has? The invitation's out there, but have you said yes? Are you continuing to say yes every day? Father, we admit that we need you. Forgive us when we have not opened our tables big enough to people different than us, to people that that are your kind of people, people that you love. Remind us again today, Jesus, that we're the poor, we're needy, we're weak, we're wounded. We too have sicknesses and sores. We too are thirsty. Thank you for inviting us to come to you. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org slash give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South family. Have a great rest of your day.